Well, I am so excited to be at First Baptist Midland. I, I got to tell you, I love your pastor. This guy. Now, I'm kind of nervous to preach here. I listen to him all the time. I listen to him every week. And, uh, you know, he's a Mercedes Benz. I'm a go-kart. So, but we'll, but we'll have fun this week. Well, now some of you may find this weird, but I am a preacher and a lawyer. And some people say, I didn't even know you could be a Christian and a lawyer. I'm the good kind. I'm a, I'm a church lawyer. I'll tell you about that. Now, you know, we have a special law in Texas for lawyers to help them out. So did you know that if you're a lawyer in Texas and you die, you have to be buried at least six feet under? That's the law. Do you know why? Because deep down, we're good people. Yes. <laughs> Drill deeper. Yes. So <laughs> see what I did with that? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm a lawyer. I represent churches and uh, I'm the uh, president and chief legal counsel for defending the faith alliances alliance and we defend the faith we defend churches we defend Christians and we defend Christ and uh, we have a couple of things that we do that are really really special we have a program called church shield we represent uh, over a hundred churches across the country helping them uh, maintain their religious liberty we have court cases uh, I've barred all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Uh, we also represent Christian businesses. It's our newest thing. It's about 45 days old. It's called Kingdom Shield. And we help protect Christian businesses so they can operate very similar to Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A. And if you want to know more about that, uh, on our resource table, we have a brochure called Kingdom Shield. So if you're a Christian business owner, you'll want to take a look at that and see what that's all about. Well, for 21 years of my life, I was an atheist. I did not believe in God. And I was challenged by a Southern Baptist pastor named Bruce Wells to disprove Christianity. And what's interesting about this Baptist pastor, you're going to find out a little bit more about him this week, is he once pastored in Glenrose, Texas. But he felt the call of God to move to the city where I was. And Julie's father became the next pastor of that church. And if he hadn't left that church and came to my town, I wouldn't be standing here today because that pastor who came, Julie, he, he witnessed to me and I told him, I said, you know, Christianity's not true. The Bible's filled with errors. Jesus never even existed. You know, none of it is true. And so he challenged me to prove that Christianity was not the truth and I accepted that challenge. And you probably know what's happened to everybody that's ever taken that challenge they end up becoming a Christian. And I discovered that there is powerful, powerful evidence from archaeology, prophecy, miracles, the resurrection, science, many different areas which demonstrate beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christianity is the truth. And I have dedicated my life to helping people not only understand how to become a Christian, but why they should become a Christian. Contrary to popular belief, you do not have to check your brains in at the door to become a Christian. Becoming a Christian is one of the most reasonable, intelligent decisions that you can ever make. And this week in our Drill Deeper conference, you're going to hear powerful evidence for why Christianity is the truth. And I challenge you to come this week and your faith will be strengthened. I ask you to bring people with you. 
uh, bring skeptics, be, be people, bring people who are looking for answers because you're going to hear things. Um, on Tuesday night, I'm going to talk about why it takes more faith to, to be an atheist than it does to believe in God. I'm going to talk to you about the incredible faith of atheism. It takes unbelievable faith not to believe in God. And then Wednesday night is going to be the night you don't want to miss. I'm going to give my testimony of how I came from atheism to Christ. And I'm going to talk about the definitive things that changed my mind. So please invite somebody to come and hear my story about how I turned from atheism to Christ. What I want to talk about this morning as we begin is I want to talk about how do you know that Christianity is the truth? I mean, how do you know that Jesus is the way and Buddha is not the way? How do you know that you should follow Jesus and not Muhammad? How do you know that you should follow Jesus and not Confucius? How do we know that Christianity is the truth? Well, if you have a Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 14. And this morning, we're going to look at the question of a skeptic, one of the greatest skeptics in all the Bible, and his name is Thomas. And Thomas has a nickname. Anybody know what it is? It's Doubting Thomas. And Jesus is talking about heaven, and Doubting Thomas asked Jesus a very probing, a very pertinent question. And this is still one of the greatest questions you can ever, ever entertain today. And Jesus, um, and, and Jesus answered Thomas, uh, listen, John chapter 14, verse 5. Thomas said unto him, he said, Lord, he said, how can we know the way? And Jesus answered to him in John chapter 14, verse 6. And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ made a claim. He made an unbelievable, one-of-a-kind, unique claim. He claimed to be God. Now, if you claim to be God, that's an incredible thing. I mean, if we had somebody that walked here today in First Baptist Midland, Texas, and grabbed that microphone and made the announcement that they were God, we have a word for that kind of person, mentally ill. You know, the first plane trip I ever took was as a kid, and I flew into to Midland Odessa Airport. And, uh, but you know, one time, uh, Brother Darren, I was flying later in life, and my first flight was here, but I was in an airport, and I, I had to make a connection, but things ran late, and I got to the airport, and everything had closed, and I was really counting on getting there in time so I could eat. And so I'm at my gate, and I can see McDonald's right there. But the, but the bars are already over. You know, they've, they've pulled that chain down and I can see the menu and I can see the pictures of the food and I'm so hungry and I just thought, man, I, you know, I'm just gonna read my Bible. So I got my Bible out and I'm reading my Bible and all of a sudden a guy over my shoulder said, hey, how you like my book? <laughs> I said, uh, oh, I'm, I'm actually reading the Bible, God's word. He goes, yeah, I wrote it. What you think about it? I was like, I, I stood up. I said, hey, I didn't get your name. He said, why, I'm God. Nice to meet you. I said, I've been looking for you. I said, you can't even imagine 
your good timing. Because I said, I am so hungry. McDonald's is closed. I said, God, I just need a little small miracle. I want you to put uh, a number three. That's a quarter pound with cheese. You already know what it is. Um, extra value size with the Diet Coke right here. And this guy just looked at me so strange. I said, oh, now, God, I'm not asking for anything crazy. Um, and, of course, as we began to talk about it, he couldn't produce the number three right here. And so I said, you know, sir, I need to tell you something. There are two supreme facts in this world that you need to be aware of. Number one, there is a God. And number two, you ain't him. <laughs> I mean, because... If you claim to be God, you should be able to do the kinds of things that God can do. I read the story about a guy who had just graduated medical school. It was his first day at his new job. You have to start somewhere. He got a job at a mental institution. So this doctor walks in and, you know, he sees all the patients and all this stuff. And he notices a guy that's standing in the corner all day long. He just stands like this with his hand in his breast coat at attention. And he just stares into space, just and so he went over and asked one of the nurses, she, she said, he said, what is the deal with the guy who stands in the corner like, like this? And she said, oh, that guy thinks he's Napoleon. He said, Napoleon Dynamite? What? Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. He thinks he's Napoleon Bonaparte. He thinks he's the emperor of France. Doctor says, well, this is going to be my first cure. I'm going to go cure this guy. So the doctor comes up. He says, hey, I'm Dr. Brown. What's your name? And the man jumps at attention. Why, I'm Napoleon. And the man, the doctor said, really? Who told you that you were Napoleon? And the man said, why, God did. About that time, a guy standing right behind him goes, no, I didn't. <laughs> if you claim to be God, you had better be able to back it up. At one time on this planet, Muhammad Ali was the heavyweight champion of the world. They said he was the greatest. Muhammad Ali was, during his reign, was heavyweight champion of the world. He was on a jet airplane, 747, that began to experience severe turbulence. It was so bad, they didn't know if they were going to survive the flight. The captain turned on the fastened seatbelt sign. Everybody on board buckled up, but the champ, the stewardess noticed. And at great peril to her own life, she went down to, to, to the cabin and she said, Sir, you're going to have to fasten your seatbelt. Ali didn't even pay attention to her. She said, sir, you're going to have to fasten your seatbelt. Ali finally just started staring at her. He glared at her, which what she said seemed like an eternity. And finally, he said this, Superman don't need no seatbelt. <laughs> to which the flight attendant calmly replied, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> Buckle up. I mean, if you claim to be something more than a mere human being on this planet, you had better be able to back it up. And in this world, we have thousands of religions. We have thousands of people who have claimed to be your savior. You know what it means to be a savior in the Bible? To be a savior means to be able to save. It's the image of a lifeguard. Now, can you imagine somebody wanting to be a lifeguard that couldn't swim? That'd be a sad thing, wouldn't it? Uh, Dr. Dr. Wood, I, I don't know if you ever heard the story about the, the, the seminary student who wanted to be a, an evangelist, but he had to take a job as a lifeguard. Everybody kept drowning because he'd go, I see that hand. I see that hand. 
I mean, if you, <laughs> if you're going to be a lifeguard, you got to be able to save. I read a USA Today story one time. It was a tragic story about a, a grandmother. And uh, she was watching her grandkids and one of them fell into the swimming pool. She couldn't swim. She ran out. She dove into the deep end of this pool to save the child. The tragic ending to this story is that a few hours later, both were found deceased in the bottom of the pool. Now, when it comes to being a lifeguard, sincerity is not enough. To be a lifeguard, not only do you have to be willing to save, you must be able to save. And Jesus Christ came to save you from the greatest problem that you have. Did you know everybody in this room has the same greatest problem? Everybody in this room is going to die. Now, even those of us who went to Texas A&M can tell you that's a fact. <laughs> and you need to ask yourself the question, why am I going to die? Why did people before me die? Well, the Bible says that it's because of sin. The wages of sin is death. Now, think about this. You have many religious lifeguards who've claimed to be your savior, okay? Now, what do saviors save from? The angel said, and they shall call his name Jesus because he shall save his people from their sin. Saviors save from sin. And you have all these different religious leaders who claim to be your religious lifeguard, but here's the problem. They're all dead. Buddha is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. Muhammad is dead. Elvis, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but Jesus Christ, he's alive, risen from the dead. And Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, made a one-of-a-kind, unique, unbelievable claim in John chapter 14, 6, and here is the deal with this claim. Now, I'm going to do something that you've probably never, ever seen a Baptist preacher do today. Now, this is going to be unique. Today, Dr. Wood, I am going to attempt to preach a one-point sermon. Yes. Now, I've preached a no-point sermon many, many times, <laughs> unlike you. But today, I'm going to preach a one-point sermon, and here it is. Jesus Christ made a one-of-a-kind, unbelievable, unique claim. And here's the point. He backed up his claim. Now listen, if you were God and you were going to come to this earth and incarnate and take the form of a man, how would you demonstrate to people that you were God and not a crazy person? Well, I'll tell you how Jesus Christ did it. When Jesus Christ began his earthly ministry, he unleashed an avalanche of miracles that arrested this world's attention. He healed men blind from birth. He raised the dead. He did miracles that would astound the modern scientific community today. But today, when many skeptics look at the life and miracles of Jesus Christ, they say things like, Jesus never actually did any of those miracles. He was just a clever magician who was able to fool the pre-scientific people of his generation. Oh, really? Have you ever noticed the kind of miracles that Jesus did? Healing congenital blindness from birth, raising the dead, his own resurrection, which I'll talk about in just a moment, is the greatest attested religious miracle in all of antiquity. Jesus Christ gave powerful, convincing evidence that he was who he said he was. You know what Jesus said? He said, if you don't believe the words that I say, 
believe the works that I do. Now, I'm a lawyer. I've won over 100 trials. And, you know, one of the most powerful pieces of evidence that you could ever have in a court, and we're in Midland County, and right next door is Ector County, and there's tons of courts around here. Uh, but one of the most powerful pieces of evidence that you can introduce is eyewitness testimony. Now, here's a powerful piece of information that you may not be aware of. Did you know when it concerns the miracles of Jesus Christ, no first century eyewitness, not one, ever denied the fact that Jesus could do miracles? Now, isn't that incredible? That you didn't have at least one person who would try to expose Jesus as a clever magician as a David Copperfield or a Harry Houdini and reveal how he did his magic tricks. No one ever did that. You know why? Because every single skeptic in, in the first century believed that Jesus could do miracles. And you go, well, Frank, if they were skeptics, how could they believe in miracles? Let me tell you something. They did because he did them. So if you say, well, if, they, if he did the miracles, how come did they didn't become believers? Because they explained them away with a faulty explanation. And here is the faulty explanation that first century eyewitnesses explained Jesus' miracles away. They said, yes, he did miracles, but he did them by the power of Satan. Now, I was an atheist for many, many years. I actually read the Bible cover to cover before I became a Christian. I've read it many, many times since I've become a Christian. And you know, it's really, really interesting, Pastor Darren, when you read the Bible as a non-believer, different things definitely jump out to you. And I believe that God can speak to non-believers. I don't know if you know this, but God still speaks. And, and so I read the Bible cover to cover and this pastor who had come from Glen Rose, Julie, what he told me was, he said, when you get to the gospel of John, he said, I just want you to pray a prayer. I said, I don't believe in prayer. He said, I just want you to pray a prayer. Who is Jesus? So when I got to the gospel of John, of course, I'm reading the whole Bible looking for loopholes and looking to try to disprove it. Uh, I prayed that prayer. And I'm reading the Bible and the scripture that really got me is Jesus was talking with a group of skeptics. Actually, he was arguing with them. And uh, they couldn't get it. And finally said, Jesus said, you can't get it because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I'm reading this. I'm a skeptic. And I thought, who are Jesus' sheep? Now, this is the first time I believe God ever spoke to me because I heard a voice in my head. No, it wasn't audible. It wasn't out loud. But here's, the, here's the, what the voice in my head said. People who love truth. That's who Jesus' sheep are. And you know what I suddenly realized as a skeptic? I, 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 I was not wanting to find the truth. I was trying to disprove Christianity. I didn't come at it with an open mind. I didn't say, you know, I wonder if this, if this thing is actually real. If there, if there is, if this is actually possible to be true. See, I didn't think God could be real because I didn't think it was possible for him to be real. You know, this week we're gonna talk about it, but there's actually 10 different kinds of atheists. You know what kind I was? I was an atheist of ignorance. I thought I knew all the answers. I'd actually studied nothing and knew anything. And so when I actually started studying the life of Jesus Christ, I was astounded. Do you know that there's tons of evidence from the first century that demonstrates the historicity of Christ? But 
Also, there's also outside secular evidence that talks about the miracles of Christ. Josephus, who is the greatest historian of the first century, he writes about the miracles of Jesus Christ. He attests his resurrection. Did you know the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, a collection of Jewish writings from 100 to 500 AD, actually affirms the fact that Jesus could do miracles? But it says this, it says, yes, Jesus could do miracles, Uh, This is in Babylonian Sanhedrin 43. It says, yes, he could do miracles, but he did them because he had the power of a sorcerer. Now, if you're reading this as a skeptic, I mean, basically, uh, that's problematic. Because let me ask you a question here this morning. Do you think it's possible for God not to be real, but Satan be real? Is that possible? I mean, because... If you actually, this is one of the reasons I think the devil doesn't show himself. If you actually figure it out, the devil is real, checkmate. There's a God. By the way, if one miracle has ever happened in this world, there's a God. That's all that needs to be. You remember Carl Sagan? He was searching for extraterrestrial life. He believed in extraterrestrials. He said this universe couldn't have been an accident. There had to be something, but it wasn't God. They're like, what was it? He goes, it was aliens. And they're like, is there any evidence for aliens? Well, there will be. We're looking for it. They said, how much evidence would it take you to believe in alien? Oh, just one, just one rearview mirror from a spaceship. Just, just one piece of evidence. And I, well, let me tell you something. All it takes to believe in God is just to know one miracle has ever existed. I don't want you to ever forget this. Is there anybody in this building who can say, you know what? I've experienced a miracle in my life. Would you raise your hand? I'm raising mine right now. Look at this. Look all around you. There is a God. He, God has, he is, the Bible says in Romans chapter one that the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Did you know that no one in the first century ever denied the miracles of Jesus Christ? It was only in the second century that people first began to deny the miracles of Jesus Christ. People who weren't even there. And from the second century until the present, the miracles of Jesus Christ have been under attack as never before. Do you know what the two most attacked miracles are in the history of the Christian church? Number one is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But number two may surprise you. It's the virgin birth. Let's take them in reverse order as I'm going to close. I'm I'm trying to figure out how much time I have, Derek, because there's like all kinds of numbers up there. But here's what I'm going to do, Darren. Um, so when I get ready to close, I'm going to do this. It's a, it's a this sermon technique. I'm going to go, and I close. And then everybody's going to, going to relax. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting, getting to the close. This is a great technique because when, when you do that, people just relax. They go, oh, wow, he's finally going to be done. He's going to land the plane. And that's why I do it six or seven times because people just love it so much. But let me, let me tell you real quickly about these two miracles. The virgin birth, I, I've, I've done many debates with atheists. I was debating an atheist one time and we were talking about the virgin birth and he said, he said, I don't believe in the virgin birth because the virgin birth is a biological impossibility. I went to seminary, I immediately thought in Greek. Sometimes I just think in Greek. I thought, duh. <laughs> and you say, Frank, is duh a Greek word? Yeah. You know what duh means in Greek? It means duh. So he goes, I, I can't believe in the virgin birth because it's, a, it's, it's impossible. Listen, the angel said, 
a sign will be given. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is to say God with us. Listen, if the virgin birth wasn't miraculous, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even mean anything. You know, I had an atheist tell me one time, we were in a debate, he goes, the problem I have with God is the miracles. I was like, what? I said, wait, are you saying that if God couldn't do miracles, you might be way more likely to believe in him? Unbelievably, he said, yes. I said, well, wait a second. I mean, if you met God and he couldn't do miracles and you, you had to ask him about some things, you'd say, God, you can't do miracles. How did you create the world? God says, I got lucky. <laughs> I mean, that would take a lot of faith. That's actually ridiculous to believe. And so you have to understand the virgin birth is so important. Let me tell you why. What's the first miracle that Jesus ever did? Yeah, he turned water into wine. But let me tell you one that was going on his whole entire life that's unbelievable. And this is one that we need to talk to people about. It's called the perfect life. Do you realize that Jesus never sinned? Jesus walked all over Palestine and asked people, he said, which of you? convinces me of sin. I mean, that's something that you should never challenge somebody to. Say, I, I dare you to catch me in sin. They will. I mean, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the Bible says about Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Do you realize why the virgin birth is so important? Unlike you, and unlike me, Jesus Christ did not have an earthly father. He did not inherit a sinful nature. And so Jesus Christ was a perfect man. See, Jesus Christ didn't just claim to be your savior, wait for it, he claimed to be your sinless savior. No one else has ever made such an unbelievable claim. Listen, Jesus is not only the name above every name, but he made the claim above every claim. And I close. Told you. Look, at, you can't even believe all the smiles and all the happiness <laughs> across the room. So I was doing a debate with an atheist one time, and uh, we got to the end, and uh, the last point, it was a three-part debate, and the last part was on the resurrection of Christ. And so he says, I don't believe that dead men can rise from the dead. I'm sitting over here, I'm looking over my notes because I'm going to do the, the last five-minute close. And everything got quiet. I thought, what's going on? He said, I don't believe that dead men can rise from the dead. And he waited. I re then I realized he's wanting me to talk to him back. I went, I don't either. He goes, no, no, no. I just said, I don't believe that dead men can come back from the dead. I said, I'm with you, man. I don't, I don't believe in that either. I went to Texas A&M, I know. And he goes, but you're sitting over there saying Jesus Christ came back from the dead. And I went, you're, you're about to get it, sir. You're about to understand. Jesus Christ was not a mere man. Do you know the word impossible doesn't occur many times in the Bible, but one place it does is in Acts 2.24. You know what it says? It says it was impossible that Jesus Christ could stay dead whom God raised up. What do you think would happen? If you tried to kill God, <laughs> he took the form, he beamed down here to earth and you killed that. Do you think you would have killed God off? Do you realize that Jesus walked all over Palestine like Arnold Schwarzenegger and he says, take me out. I'll be back. That's what he did. 
Bunch of skeptics asked Jesus, they said, hey, give us a supreme sign that you are the Christ. If you really are this religious leader, the Christ, the sinless Savior, prove it. And Jesus said, only one sign will be given, the sign of Jonah. He said, I'm going to be crucified and buried, and three days later, I'm going to come back from the dead to demonstrate that what I have said is true. I was 21 years of age. I accepted Jesus Christ in my heart, and I'm going to tell you something. I have never ever been the same. I can tell you the exact moment that Christ came into my life. I was driving in a pickup truck in East Texas, in Gladewater, Texas, and, and, and I finally surrendered and God came into my heart. Things became different. The air felt different. The sun looked different. Things looked brighter. I mean, you can't even imagine. Do you realize that God is real? That Jesus can come into your heart today? And everything that you have in your life can be different. What this man says, he says, he says, well, that's just your opinion. I said, sir, let me tell you something. My opinion came back from the dead. Can yours? See, there's a lot of people trying to tell you that Jesus is not true. And this is the way or that's the way. Or somehow they know more than God or somehow they know more than the Bible. I'll tell you this. Until you can convince me otherwise... Every single time, I'm going with the guy who came back from the dead. Let's, let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray. I pray for everyone here. I pray that if there's someone here within the sound of my voice who doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the first day they would say the everlasting yes to you. By saying yes to you, they say no to sin and no to self. And they invite you into their heart. Father, I pray for that person today. Lord, that they'd be willing, as best they know how, to turn from sin and say, God, I just, I need your help. I need you to come into my heart. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I need you to change me, to make me new. Father, I pray today that somebody would make this step and never be sorry. I pray today would be the first day of the rest of somebody's life. Lord, if there's somebody here today or listening that's wandered away from you and they've lost that feeling that you're real, Father, I pray today that they would drop everything and run back to you, recommit their life to you. Lord, I know that there's somebody here today, they're desperate, they're desperate for you, desperate for a change, and I pray, Lord, that it would start with that first move towards you. When people draw near to God, you draw near to them. I pray today they'd have the courage to make that move. Father, if there's somebody here today that needs to follow through in obedience, maybe it's to be baptized, I pray that they would, they would take that next step in their Christian life. They would go deeper than they've ever been before. And I pray today, Lord, I, that as you spoke through these words that I've said, not that I have anything to say, but that your Holy Spirit is speaking today, drawing people, changing people for all eternity. That's my prayer, Lord, that somebody today would go deeper with you. We pray this, pray this prayer in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You know, if you'd like to make a decision today, maybe it's to, 
confess Christ for the very first time, I want to ask you to do something. I want you to step out from where you are in just a moment. And Pastor Wood is going to be standing right here. I want you to come and I want you to, I want you to boldly step out from where you are and come and put your hand in his hand and say, I'm coming today to follow Jesus. Or maybe it's today to say, I'm coming to rededicate my life. This is it. This is the day. I'm going deeper with Christ. I'm just, I'm, I'm setting everything aside and I'm coming to him. Maybe it's to be baptized. Maybe it's to join this wonderful church. Boy, what a great church. What a great church this is. And maybe God is speaking to you. Oh, I can't even imagine how lucky you are to live in Midland and be able to get to sit under this amazing, amazing man. If you'd like to make one of these decisions, I'm going to ask you to come quickly as we stand and we sing. If you'd like to make one of these decisions, you come right now.